0: To this endo life. I'm Jessica Duffin. I'm an endo warrior and endo health coach, and this podcast is all about living and thriving with endometriosis. As always, this podcast is here for educational purposes only. Please consult your medical practitioner before making any nutritional changes or bringing in any supplements. Before we dive into today's episode, I want to give a shout out to my lovely sponsors at BU. And I wanted to tell you about their new bath bombs, which are naturally made and contain beautiful essential oils. And their peppermint and eucalyptus essential oils um, bath bomb is doing so well right now with endometriosis community. They're getting loads of feedback about it. And you know, if you love the patches themselves, you're gonna love the bath bombs because essentially So before we dive into today's episode, I wanted to give a shout out to the lovely girls at Semaine. They are two sisters with endometriosis. They've been on the show before and they founded Semaine, which is a supplement company for people with periods to originally their first supplement was to aid with PMS and period pain. And I know that it is a lifesaver for so many people with endometriosis and painful periods. I absolutely love that supplement. It's really helped me when I've had to kind of follow protocols for SIBO or, you know, I've had a stressful time and I've been worried about my period. I've been able to avoid a flare with that supplement and they've always been so kind and um, kindly sent me sent me them when, I, when I've needed them. And now they've come out with a new supplement called The Daily. And it is a hormone balancing supplement, which is designed to help with healthy skin, stable mood, fewer cravings in your luteal phase, blood sugar balance. And they recently gifted it to me. Honestly, I said this to my client the other day, my blood sugar levels have never felt, so stable as they did when I was taking that day, daily supplement. As you guys know, I, I work very hard to stabilize my blood sugar levels because that will keep inflammation down and it also ensures that you have healthy, balanced hormones. It's, it's really, really key. And I have a history of having really unstable blood sugar. Originally growing up, it was because of my eating disorder. But then in later years, it was much more down to firstly following a vegan diet when I didn't understand how to build my plate, a healthy blood sugar balance in plate. And secondly, because of my microbiome and my microbiome because of SIBO is built to actually extract more glucose from my food and cause blood sugar instability. This is actually a really key piece of blood sugar. If your blood sugar is resistant all of the strategies you're trying that is a massive clue that your microbiome is affecting the way that your blood sugar is is being controlled in your body so we need to work on that work on your gut and mine has impro- mine has improved massively but i still react much more um erratically than someone else would to blood sugar fluctuations and I couldn't believe the difference. It was like I had a whole month of like stable blood sugar. It was incredible. And as a result, I had much more of a healthier cycle. I felt a lot more satisfied. I had less food cravings. I just felt a lot more stable in energy. So I'm a really big fan of this. And as I said, blood sugar is a huge piece to managing your hormones, hence why blood sugar is such a big part of their their supplement. So the girls have kindly given me a discount code for you guys. It will get you 20% off your first um, order, whether that's the daily or the PMS and period support capsules. And the code is ENDOLIFE, one word, all caps. So E-N-D-O-L-I-F-E, And that code is valid for the next six months, I believe. So you can use it at any time. Um, So let me know how you get on with them. I'd love to hear if you find them as amazing as I did. And I hope that they bring you a happier and healthier cycle and period. Hello and happy 2023. Um, I am currently recording this in a tiny, tiny bathroom in a shepherd's hut in the Cotswolds. Um we are back in the UK for three months because we have to keep coming back because of Brexit um, and we had a sit booked um, house sit as you guys know I'm traveling through um, doing house sits and they cancelled last minute so we had to find somewhere to be for a couple of days whilst we got got ourselves sorted and settled into January so obviously not the smoothest way to begin the new year when you're going back to work um, but You know, we're making it work, um, including recording a podcast intro from the toilet. So today's episode is a replay uh, whilst I record my next batch of exciting guests. I'm really looking forward to those being out. They'll be out at the end of Jan. Um, But I actually think that this replay is necessary. So I'm kind of glad that, um, that we're doing it. This podcast episode isn't very old, it only came out in June 2022, but because this time of year is just full of messages about health, wellness, goals, resolutions, you know, all of that jazz, um, and whilst I, of course, encourage healthy habits and healthy lifestyles, I'm a health coach, so naturally I encourage these things, doing this sustainably and in a way that we enjoy and that fits our lives, that's the most important if we try to do everything all at once and hold ourselves to really extreme standards we're going to burn out and feel pretty rubbish about ourselves when we can't keep it all up because we're so exhausted or because it was unrealistic in the first place and I have certainly been there in the past I don't really um, make a lot of changes in the new year I, I do certainly have like ideas of what I want my new year to be like as in the whole year not just you know January um but I kind of try to aim for consistency rather than jumping in um full throttle with like a lot of you know intense changes but if you have ideas of changing up your experience of endo in 2023 I'm sure there's a lot of you who are like you know what I've felt really ill in 2022 I'm sick of it I want to make a change then I fully suspect fully support you in that of course but I really want you to go into it knowing that you don't have to do it perfectly and that you don't have to do it all at once and that's why I'm resharing this episode today. I listen to a lot of um, business podcasts for coaches and health coaches, I listen to a lot of health podcasts and sometimes I just pause them and I end up listening to like fiction podcasts and things like that because I'm listening to so much content that makes me feel like I have to do it all at once and that's never the intention of the host but the host is trying to provide as much info as possible so that you guys have or we have a selection of info depending on what we need right because a host is never going to know exactly what each individual needs and it's not a tailored service, right, it's a service for the masses, so it's really about us being selective about what is necessary to us and what's going to serve us in that moment, right, we don't have to action every single step from every podcast we listen to. So I kind of wanted to start the year off with this replay so that as you listen to any episodes coming out for the rest of the year, you have like this filter um of yes I'm listening to this episode now but I don't have to implement these actions today or anytime in you know in the near future I can bring them in when they're relevant if they're ever relevant so um hopefully this kind of episode sets you up for not just January and this kind of push that we always feel to make big changes but for the rest of the year so I hope it's helpful Okay, so I just want to give a trigger warning that this is a conversation to a degree about disordered eating behaviours. So if that feels like an uncomfortable conversation for you, something that might cause you mental distress, emotional distress, then skip this episode and do what you need to do to look after yourself. Okay, so I've been noticing something for a while now. Um, It's always been a problem in society overall. I think it's an issue that takes different form depending on the generation and the situation um, and kind of the context and I've been acutely aware of it throughout my endo career and I've really tried to say do what's right for you and um, not kind of be so strict and black and white with things but today I really want to directly speak to it because I'm seeing it a lot more lately. So I've always been aware of it throughout my career. I've been tried, I've tried to be very, very conscious of how I speak um, about dietary changes, um, about lifestyle changes, but I'm really noticing it a lot more at the moment. So today I want to tell you in this episode that you don't have to manage endo perfectly. In fact, I am urging you not to. And this is what I mean. In the past, say, two years, I've worked with a couple hundred people, probably around 500, maybe more, either one-to-one or in my courses. And for the most part, many people do take a balanced approach. I kind of hate that word balance, but I don't really know how else to describe it. But in some, I've noticed this trend to be very black and white with endo management, very full throttle, very all or nothing. And I really, really get it. Having had an eating disorder for the best part of my adult life and all of my teenage years, I understand how easy it is to become obsessive about certain food choices. I really, really do. I remember that feeling so well like it was yesterday. And as a perfectionist and overachiever, something that I'm still struggling with to this day, I also understand the desire to want to go all in, to want to try and make changes all at once, to try and do all the endo management things all at the same time. So I really, really understand. But here's the thing. It's not sustainable. Trying to do everything all at once and to stick to restricted behaviours doesn't lead to long-term successful endo management. It leads to resentment, stress, and exhaustion, and perhaps even disordered eating for some of us. You'll probably end up giving up because you feel so damn miserable. You might not know what's working for you because you're trying so much all at once. And you may perhaps get stuck in a binge-restrict cycle with your eating. So if you're not really sure if this applies to you or you're just not very clear on what I'm talking about, I want to share kind of some examples. So I do these Q and A's and last year, someone asked me a question along the lines of, will I ever be able to eat pizza or bad food ever again? And I think for context, if I'm remembering this right, she had been on a really, really strict elimination diet for a year or perhaps a lot longer and I, I may have that wrong, but I'm pretty sure that she that that was the case and she wasn't eating soy, dairy, caffeine, any forms of sugar, gluten processed foods, alcohol, I think maybe she'd cut out fruit, you know, etc, etc. and this was my answer of course, of course you can eat a pizza I mean why are we on this earth if we can't enjoy one of the greatest things about being a human now and again? I mean, pizza has to be up there. And secondly, let's try to move away from the term bad food. I don't know how you want to label it. Maybe if you can, don't label foods at all. But I think we're you know, I think we're creatures of labeling. So perhaps rename certain foods as foods for the body and other foods as foods for the soul, right? So a really amazing Mediterranean salad might be foods for the body. And then a really great pizza might be foods for the soul, for example. I don't know what will work for you, but maybe try something less loaded and less black and white as bad and good. That's when we're going to get, you know, we're going to start getting wrapped with guilt if we eat something that's quote unquote bad, and we're going to get controlled by restriction. But back to the pizza. I went on to tell this group that I eat pizza every other weekend, if not every weekend. These days, it's not usually every weekend because I find that pizza really shoots up my blood sugar. It goes sky high. Since i been using the continuous glucose monitors. So now I tend to eat pizza once or twice a month, maybe coupled with a walk or a cycle afterwards to help balance my blood sugar, maybe not. Now, do I eat a gluten base and have dairy on top? No, not because these foods are quote unquote bad, but because they don't agree with me personally. I have a strong chance of developing celiac disease with a a high gluten diet due to my genetics. So I'm careful of when I eat gluten. Um, and I am really intolerant to dairy. But that doesn't mean it's ruled out entirely with gluten. Usually, I save it for a good sourdough bread. Now, having said that, where we live, there's not always great access to vegan and gluten-free food. So occasionally, I'll go for a sourdough pizza base, if the place doesn't have a gluten-free one. And, you know, we've already sat down and ordered drinks, etc. And it's kind of too late to leave, and they're about to take the order, and I'm like, oh, shit, there's no gluten-free base. Um, Or maybe I've seen someone order a gluten-free pizza, and I'm just like, yeah, that's not worth eating. Because some places really have some catching up to do on the gluten-free front. So, you know I'll opt for a gluten base instead. Now a few years back when my endo belly was really out of control and I still had a lot of IBS issues with SIBO, eating a gluten pizza, especially if it had dairy cheese on top, was in short a disaster. I would get so sick. I don't think I don't think I would get sicker than any from anything else actually I think that was like my worst combination like gluten and dairy together was just awful for me and my stomach would be in intense knots and I would have in, and I would be so desperate to get home so I could stay near a toilet so you know that experience that anguish it just it wasn't worth it for me the pizza wasn't worth it for me Following a meal like that, I felt like I had intense food poisoning. It felt like someone had punched me in the stomach for days afterwards. So, back then, when I made all of these initial changes for my endo, I would have been a lot more cautious, and I wouldn't have made the choice to eat a gluten-based pizza in a restaurant if they didn't have one. I would have just gone for a salad or something. And yeah, it would have been a bit disappointing to see Chris eating a pizza in front of me, but I knew the alternative was worse, so I had an acceptance around that. Now, these days, I'm noticing on the back of my SIBO treatment last year... That even though I've relapsed, there are some foods that I'm starting to tolerate more. And so I can quite confidently eat some gluten out and not worry about it. Now, if I started eating gluten every day, like I had to do for the celiac test at the beginning of this year, then we'd have a problem. When I did that, I was nauseous every day. I woke up feeling like I was going to vomit. I woke up with a belly that looked like it was about to pop. It felt like it was about to pop. My joints started hurting. My blood sugar levels went up. I lost my appetite. My whole body swelled up, and I, I was like puffy. And I had more a more painful period that month. Now, I was actually surprised it wasn't worse, if I'm honest, reflecting on how I used to be on gluten. I thought I was going to have a lot of abdominal cramping, a lot of fluctuation between constipation and really bad diarrhea. Um, but, it, you know, all of those, I mean, they sound bad, but they were... Other than the sickness, that was really, really bad, and the bloating, it was bearable. But it's safe to say I was absolutely, like, sick of gluten by the time I finished prepping for that test. I did not want to see another loaf of bread. But my point is, I don't have celiac disease, and I don't have an allergy to gluten. Eating gluten will not put me in hospital immediately like it does for my brother and sister. So I can have a little here and there and be Okay. But when I eat it regularly, like I did for that celiac disease test, my GI issues worsen, my body gets inflamed, and my period gets worse. And that's just not how I want to live. Eating some sourdough once or twice a month, or even more if, say, I'm away um, and I don't have access to a lot of gluten-free foods, or I don't know, you know, it just happens that way that month, that's not going to suddenly cause my endo to grow or get 10 times worse, right? Yes, we want to be mindful of the inflammatory foods we eat because that can worsen our symptoms, right? We know that endo is an inflammatory disease and we know that high inflammation levels worsen pain and fuel the endo fire. But if the majority of the time, you know, most of the time, 80% of the time, maybe a bit less at times, maybe a bit more at others. But most of the time, you're eating your veggies, you're eating fruits, nuts and seeds. If if you tolerate them, some, some of us with SIBO can't. You're eating organic lean proteins, lots of healthy fats, etc. If you're doing that, you're giving your body the best chance at lowering inflammation nutritionally. Avocado on sourdough bread at brunch with your best friend once or twice a month is not going to cancel that out. Now, if you know, you categorically know that eating gluten will send your stomach into a frenzy of pain and cramping, and you'll be stuck on the floor of that cafe's toilets in agony with an endo belly flare, then of course, right, choose something else and and consider getting a celiac disease test as well. I'm obviously not saying go eat something that's gonna give you an immediate endo flare, that's not what I'm saying here. But if you're just staying away from something 100% of the time because you're scared it's going to cancel out all of your good work, or you just think that it's all or nothing with endo management, then I'm here to give you permission to eat the damn toast or pizza or whatever it is that you're craving. Okay, so here's another example. In the summer, we tend to head down to Folkestone for a day trip as it's not too far from us. And for those of you who aren't in the UK, it's a a cool, very artsy um, seaside place. Now, when it's a sunny day, the Harbour, which has like loads of food stores and a food market, it's a bit like Box Park in London. It's very cool. Anyway, it's packed with people drinking and I don't know what it is because I don't really like alcohol and I don't really like buzzy alcohol scenes. It's not like everyone's getting trashed. Um, it's just very summery. Um, you know, we don't have alcohol at home. I probably drink say three times a year and even then it's like one or two glasses at the very most. But it always makes me want a prosecco on the harbor. <laughs> I just want to drink prosecco watching the blue sky over the sea. And so anyway, last year, I think it was last year, um I ordered a glass and Chris had a beer. And they actually gave me one of those tiny bottles which I think has about two two small glasses in it. Anyway, I I started drinking one glass and or maybe I maybe it was just a a bottle that would just have one glass but I know I don't drink a lot so I just filled it up halfway I don't know but anyway I started drinking one glass and I drink very slowly I mean I didn't when I was like 18 I was a huge binge drinker binge drinker but now I don't you know I just I don't like to drink so I drink very slowly and maybe within 30 to 45 minutes Um, I hadn't finished the glass. I still had some to go, but I found I had pelvic pain and it was really bad around my right ovary where I have a lot of adhesions. And I was just like, okay, this isn't great for me right now. It was quite weird as well, because you guys know I don't really get pain. And I stopped drinking and I gave it to Chris to finish. Now alcohol is inflammatory. Okay. We know that, um, it spikes blood sugar. So it creates inflammation but some alcohol is also very high histamine, including Prosecco, which I know I react strongly to. And we know that histamine contributes to endopain. So I think what happened is it just inflamed me too much um, for me to carry on with the drink. And we know that with people with histamine intolerance and muscle activation syndrome, which is a cause of histamine intolerance, the reactions are very, very quick. Um, and I'm about to get tested for MCAS at the moment. I'm just waiting for my referral. So that would make sense to me. So that's a very clear example where I was getting signs on my body that I didn't feel okay on that Prosecco. And, you know, I, I could have carried on drinking if I really wanted to because I do know that my endo is in a place that I'm not going to have such a severe flare that I can't walk or I need to go to a and I, I haven't had an experience like that in years. So I could have made an informed and empowered decision. I could have thought, okay, well, I'm getting about a level 5 pain and I can handle it and I want to finish this drink because I'm really enjoying it. So I'm just going to accept that there's going to be some pain And I'm going to go and find a pharmacy afterwards for some pain relief. But I don't love alcohol. I tend to have a few sips and then I'm like, yeah, I'm done. And most of the time I'd give it to Chris. So it didn't ruin my day to stop drinking it. Whereas to have forced myself to finish the bottle just because it was there and then to have been in more pain would have ruined my day because we had the rest of the day to, you know, walk around and enjoy ourselves. Now, had that been an ice cream or a hot donut, I probably would have carried on and just gone and got some pain relief because to me, it would have been worth it because those are things I really like. Now, I'm not saying push past the pain and eat what you want all the time, anytime, because at least it's an empowered and informed choice. <laughs> You know, I'm a health coach. Of course, my generalised advice is to eat a diet rich in foods that will provide you with the nutrients your body needs to live well with this disease. But on the flip side, I'm also not telling you to spend your entire summer staring at every single person eating an ice cream, yet going without one, right? It's not all or nothing. So, given all of that, Here are my tips for helping you to move away from this need for perfection if you're struggling right now. Now, you don't have to follow any of these tips. Don't use these tips as yet another stick to beat yourself up with. This isn't about you doing this perfectly, right? Taking these tips and going to, you know, taking them into your life and being perfect with them. That's not what this is for. It's just if you find that they might be helpful for you, if they sound good to you, then please take them and do what you will with them. But please don't use them as another list to kind of obsess over and and restrict yourself with. Just a reminder that this episode is sponsored by BU. These natural patches last for 12 hours so they bring you prolonged relief and can begin working on relaxing your muscles before the pain kicks in so you're prepared even if your period comes during the middle of the day. Some people even find that wearing them a night before their period can really help soothe the inflammation in the area. To shop just head to link in my show notes. So number one is, of course, if you're concerned you have an eating disorder or an eating issue, please consult with a trained mental health therapist. You know, this this goes without saying. There is now a type of eating disorder called orthorexia, which, and this is a quote, refers to an, an unhealthy obsession with eating pure, and that's in quotations, food. It isn't yet officially recognized, but it is becoming widely known amongst mental health practitioners working with people who have eating disorders. And I've linked to a website on more information if you want to have a read. But to be clear, orthorexia is not when someone just really likes to eat healthy, but it's rather when it becomes obsessive and damaging and is accompanied by extreme anxiety, guilt and a need to be in control. So make sure you're safe, right? That's number one. Make sure you're safe. safe. Work with a mental health practitioner if you need to. Now, number two is to track your cycle and work out when your body is better able to tolerate those foods for your soul, right? That's what I'm going to call foods like pizza and cakes and things, foods for your soul. So for example, there is no way in hell that I'm going to drink a caffeinated tea on my period with a slice of sugary cake. That will put me in severe pain. You, you wouldn't recognize the person I become when I, you, when I eat caffeine or sugar on my period. It, it is the number one way to send me way back 10 years ago, when my pain was excruciating. My cramps respond very, very quickly. My body responds very, very quickly to anything that raises my blood sugar levels and inflammation in my body on my period. But when I'm ovulating, like the other day, I can find myself a lovely tea room at a manor house um, and decide to have some tea and cake like we did the other day. You might have been following me on Instagram. I posted lots of pictures of flowers um, at this really beautiful manor house. And I know that in a situation like that, I'm probably going to be okay. And I was. Providing I don't do it every day, you know, as long as I'm not doing it every day in my follicular phase and ovulation phase, then I'm going to end up a bit of a mess. But if I'm doing it, you know, once or twice, a couple of times during those phases, then I'm good. I'm resilient during those phases. So number three is to eat enough and to eat enough variation so that you're full, satisfied, nourished, and not feeling deprived. I'm not quite sure why this occurs but something that I've noticed in students or clients who come to me and are very very strict about their eating is that they've narrowed down even the anti-inflammatory foods and they're usually cycling on like the same five veggies and two pieces of fruit if any at all some cut out fruit entirely and they tend to have the same meals week in and week out and as a result they're miserable Often when I ask why they're not eating certain veggies, most of the time they're not usually sure. It's just kind of happened over time as they've become more and more laser focused or they heard someone briefly mention something at a support group and they can't remember what it was but now they don't eat kale, for example, or they had so many symptoms back in the day that they would start to restrict bit by bit and now they're just not sure whether that food was the culprit so they're scared to bring it back in. Now again, I understand all of these situations in the sense of I've been someone who, not in the context of endo, but really, really restricted my diet growing up and in my twenties, um, and I understand that fear, especially around you know I've had to go on a seabed diet, I've had to go on a low histamine diet. Um, I've, I've dealt with struggles with those. So I, I understand how it feels to be in that situation. So this isn't a blame game. This isn't about judgment. I'm talking about this because I want to free you from unnecessary imprisonment around food restriction, right? So anyway... I tend to see a lot of unnecessary restriction and a lot of feelings of deprivation, which can result in a binge cycle. Or if people don't end up binging, they just feel miserable all the time. They feel really, really unhappy. And I get that. When I had to do the low histamine diet, I mean, I talked about it with you guys um, before my SIBO treatment. I was so miserable. I I hit, I got really, really low at that point. Um, and because there were so many other things that I couldn't eat at the time, it was very, very complex. But anyway, because people might be so restricted with their food in these situations, they may not be eating enough to balance their blood sugar levels. And so they're having swings of their blood sugar levels are going super, super high and then super low, which just makes endosymptoms worse. And it leaves them feeling hungry and depleted. And I should mention here that these restrictions aren't just around fruits and veggies. I often see people not eating um, enough healthy fats and healthy proteins, which are literally the building blocks of healthy hormones and are so important to manage an endo. They also help to make new, healthy neurotransmitters, so the feel good hormones. Um, they help to keep you satisfied and full. There's so much goodness in healthy fats and healthy proteins. So if you're eating the same foods and the same meals, play around with maybe one new food a week and then maybe try two and then three and so on. Or maybe try a new recipe a week. Just just do it at a pace that feels good for you. And again, as I mentioned earlier, you might need to do this with the support of a mental health practitioner. So keep that in mind if you're struggling. Now, number four is get to know how much of a favorite food for the soul you're able to eat without symptoms. So, for example, I know I can eat some sourdough a few times a month and be okay. Now, in functional medicine, the way that we would do this is with a very short-term elimination diet, where we remove the key inflammatory and allergen food groups for a period of somewhere between 10 days to 4 weeks. In my training, it's 4 weeks to allow for all of the symptoms to entirely subside, and then we introduce each food one by one. And sometimes someone can eat them fine, sometimes they react immediately and we know that that food they're really intolerant to. And sometimes it's just about how much they eat. If you know you're already triggered by the eating restrictions you've been experiencing around endo, I don't recommend you do this right now. And when you do it in the future, if you do it, I don't recommend you do it alone either. I strongly, strongly, strongly suggest you do it with a trained practitioner. If you feel capable of doing it on your own, I also strongly suggest that you don't just make it up. Follow one written by a practitioner. And I recommend Dr. Jessica Drummond's protocol from her book, Outsmart Endo, because that's what my training is based on. Um, And get your doctors go ahead before you start. So consult your doctor before you begin. Now, if you're not ready for that, just experiment as you are. So try a bit of, um, I don't know, let's say it's cheese you want to try, for example. So try one specific kind of organic grass-fed cheese um, and stay with the same kind of animal. So, you know, goats, cheese, for example. Try a small serving and see how you feel. Then the next time you have it, try a bigger serving and then maybe try two days in a row, for example, and then observe how your period is that month, if you eat the cheese near your period. And the quality does matter with an example like this, because if we're eating animal products from sources that are unethical and non-organic, unfortunately, they will be higher in hormones, chemicals, antibiotics, and inflammatory naturally occurring chemicals that basically rise with the stress of the animal. So if the animal is in an unethical condition, then it's going to be stressed. And those stress hormones raises the inflammatory levels in the animal. So all of those can affect your symptoms. And again, you know, a one, I'm not talking about one-off processed foods, right? That's not going to send you spiraling backwards, but I just mean overall, overall, when you're testing these foods, they need to be quality foods. You can still enjoy your junk food. We're not... I mean, we're not really testing junk food here because it's not that we're checking whether um, you have a sensitivity to junk food, say like McDonald's. Um, it's not that we want to see how much and how often you can eat McDonald's before you get symptoms. That's probably a bad idea. I don't want to be like, OK, eat McDonald's for breakfast. Now eat it for lunch and breakfast. Right. <laughs> um we already have the information for the entire population, endo or not, that processed and fast foods can contribute to the development of diseases and unhealth with excessive consumption. So it's, it's just about limiting these, you know, limiting the processed foods, not stopping them entirely, unless, of course, you just don't like those kind of foods, but just being mindful of them. Um, but when it comes to testing foods, if, if you want to test dairy or if you want to test soy or if you want to test, um, can't think now, cake, go for good quality, go for good quality foods. And just to hammer that point home, right, about this junk food piece, just to make this feel more real, you know, I eat an anti-inflammatory diet the majority of the time. But last week, I had an Honest Burger. For those of you in the, in the not in the UK who don't know, Honest Burger is like a um, burger restaurant. Um, I had an Honest Burger with a Beyond Meat patty and some sort of vegan bacon plus fries. And I have to say, it was actually really gross. I used to really like Beyond Meat, uh, Honest Burger, but this was not nice. Um, but that's, best, that's beside the point. My point is, I'm a health coach. And I still eat junk food sometimes because I'm human and I want to live my life. But the majority of the time, I'm an extremely healthy eater and I'm very happy about that choice because it helps me to live well with endo. But I also really love a good burger and that's okay. So anyway, I'm just, you know, I digress. But my point here is test yourself on the foods you love and actually find out if you can tolerate them rather than just cutting them out cold turkey and never trying them again. Find out. Do you need to cut them out? Or do you need to just limit how much you're having? Or do you need to be mindful? You know, experiment. Because some of you put yourself on an elimination diet and then never test these foods again. You just went cold turkey and then you stayed in that place. The point of an elimination diet is to calm everything down, inflammation-wise, test foods, and then develop a healthy diet that is largely based on nutritious foods that are tailored to your body's needs, your tastes, and your values. Okay, so number five is don't sweat the small stuff. So if you know you don't have an allergy and you don't strongly react to something, unless say you eat it every day and then you strongly react, then don't stress if it's an ingredient in just one meal. So, just for an example, If I eat a lot of soy products, so like a lot of organic tofu, tempeh, soy protein powder, tamari, soy sauce, etc. I do tend to feel a bit more estrogenic. So we won't get into this here because I cover it in my course and it's just a whole podcast in itself. But the research shows that soy products should actually help lower estrogen dominance. But clinically, myself and my colleagues see that it varies from person to person. And this is likely based on numerous things, such as where the hormone levels are already at, whether they're a little bit sensitive to soy or not, how much they eat, etc, etc. So anyway, if I eat a lot, like I'm eating a few portions a week, I tend to have more swollen and sore breasts, I get more PMS, I get heavier periods, I maybe even get some clots, etc. So I limit my soy intake because we do know that oestrogen, that endometriosis is an oestrogen dependent disease. There are numerous factors that contribute to endometriosis. Um, But I don't want to be increasing my oestrogen levels to amounts that I'm noticing symptoms, right? Now, one piece of soil or some tamari is not going to do that. But if I'm having a lot, then I notice these symptoms. So I have some, but I don't have loads. But when I was new to all of this, I literally freaked out at soy even being the very last ingredient in a tiny bar of chocolate. You know, there's that, um, is it soy, I can't pronounce it, lechon that they put in, sometimes they put in dark chocolate and and dairy-free chocolates. Um, Or if a bit of tamari was used in a dish that I was eating when I was out. I, I avoided it at all costs and it made life really, really difficult. You know, I would eat out at a lot of vegan and veggie restaurants and the chances are, even if I wasn't eating a soy product, because I, I'm not really a fan of like processed soy, um, it the chances are that soy sauce or tamari was used somewhere in the recipe or soy beans were in the recipe. So it made everything very stressful. Now I eat a little soy and I don't worry about whether it's in a meal or worst amount. And I'm fine. I'm still seven years post-surgery. I haven't needed another surgery. I'm more than seven years. Maybe I'm eight years. And I haven't needed another surgery. My cycles are still in a good place, providing I take care of them. And my symptoms are still in a good place, providing I take care of them. So don't sweat the small stuff. If it's just, you know, an in- if it's if it's an ingredient that's going to put you in A&E or put you in a lot of pain, that's different. But if it's an ingredient that you're just trying to limit majority of the time, try not to sweat it. If you don't want to, that is. My sixth tip is to decide what thriving means for you. I once said to a client, so she had gotten her period to a really good place. Um, We'd been working together for like a while, like two months. And I was super excited. And I was like, I think we could get it even better. And she said, you know what? I don't need it to be. i got my life back, I can work. I don't mind if I have a little pain that I can get, you know, buy with with just one or two paracetamols. That's amazing. She'd gone from taking heavy duty painkillers and now she just needed one or two paracetamols for the entirety of her period. She didn't want to have to make more changes to her life in order to improve her period even more. She had gotten to a place where her period was so different from what it was before where she could function and that was her version of thriving and she didn't want to make any more changes she didn't want to try any new strategies or new supplements etc to kind of go any further in this journey she was content with incredible improvements that she'd already made and i really really loved her and respected her for that decision and it was kind of a kind of a wake up for me of like Not everyone wants to just, you know, not everyone wants to be completely pain free if it means that they have to live a certain, you know, a way that doesn't fit their lifestyle. She knew what she wanted and she knew what she was able to take on. And she knew if she made any more adjustments that there was a risk of her becoming overwhelmed and of changing her life more than she wanted to. And it just wasn't worth it to her. So my point here is, don't chase a health goal for perfection's sake. Thriving has to mean that you're doing well in both your life and your health, not that you're doing well in your health at the expense of your life. We're on the second to last tip, so stay with me. So my seventh tip is find foods that replace some of the less endo-friendly ones that you used to love so that you can fill that gap and vary between them. So for example, I love bacon, I love cakes, but I cannot make sugar-filled ones every weekend and stay okay with endo. For me, sugar is my kryptonite, like that is just going to make me very sick very quickly. Instead, I make healthy cakes that are super blood sugar balancing and I use monk fruit or allulose, which is a a sugar-free extract from certain fruits. And I also make my own dairy and sugar-free ice creams too. And I also really love the Lint 90% chocolate because it's really low sugar. Um, So if I can't be bothered to bake or make ice cream, then I snack on that instead and I really enjoy it. Now, I actually prefer to eat these things over their typical normal versions. So I mean, I prefer to eat my cake made with almond flour and monk fruit um, over eating a sugary cake from a local bakery or supermarket. I like to know that my blood sugar isn't spiking. I feel better physically and mentally. I enjoy eating foods that I know are good for me. So I don't actually have to pick between them. It's not like each week I'm wondering, is this the week I'm going to eat the sugary cakes? Um, I am actually, if I have to eat a sugary cake, um, well, not have to, but if I'm like out and there's these cakes and they look really, really nice and we decide to try them, I'm like, oh, I wish these were sugar free like I'm kind of bummed. Um, But for you, and I know for others, you know, others prefer to just maybe go without cake and then have it every now and then rather than eating an alternative more frequently. I've had people say that, say like, I'm not really into these alternative things. I'd rather just have the real deal, you know, but just less. And I totally get that. But I like to bake. I like to make desserts and I love trying to make them healthy. So for me, it's fun. It's part of the experience. And guys, there's just no way in hell that I'm going through a weekend without dessert. Like I'm just not. So I would rather have a healthy sugar-free dessert than no dessert at all. But that's just me. So if the alternatives don't work for you, I totally, totally get it. So if this tip is just not, not your jam, then that's fine. Now, just a side note, if this is your jam, some so-called healthy desserts are not healthy at all. So I've just linked in the show notes to some resources on ingredients to avoid because some of those sugar-free um, alternative sweeteners actually still spike blood sugars, sugar levels. So they're still raised inflammation. It's, I actually think it should be made illegal. Like I think it's crazy because people with diabetes are eating these sugar-free alternatives that are still spiking blood sugar. I think it's really unsafe. But anyway, I've linked to some, some links in um, the show notes, and I've also put um, places where you can get some great alternatives and some great recipes. Okay, so last tip. My last tip is to enjoy your worth it moments. So this term was coined, or at least I think it was coined by her, by nutritionist Amelia Freer, I hope I'm saying her name right, um, in her interview on The Doctor's Kitchen, uh, which is a podcast. And worth it moments are when you indulge in that thing that you really want because it's worth it in that experience. It's part of that experience. It might be champagne and cake at your best friend's hen It might be your birthday cake on your birthday. It might be a sugary hot chocolate at a cafe on a rainy day with your partner or your kids. I can't tell you what your worth it moments are. You'll know, you'll know what's worth it for you. For me, it's things like going on a picnic and coming across a food market where they're selling freshly baked bread and deciding to buy a loaf or um, eating at a rooftop restaurant looking over the Greek coastline when we were traveling last year. Um, It's my boyfriend's pretzels straight out of the oven It's it's things like that, it's often things that I haven't planned and that I've just decided that this is the perfect moment to do this and yeah, I'm going to do it. So save those worth it moments, decide right here to enjoy living in that moment, make an educated and informed decision, again, as long as you're safe and you're not going to end up in A&E, and then just let go and give yourself permission to have your cake and to eat it. P.S. I understand that that quote is a metaphor, but it is just a metaphor that makes no sense to me. They need they need something else. That's just not a good metaphor. There's, there's no reason for cake if you're not going to eat it. Just my opinion. Anyway, I hope this episode has been helpful. Um, I'm fired up about it, and I think it's just because I really... I've seen some food diaries recently that have made me really sad. And I don't want that for you. Um, I want you to enjoy your life. And I want you to be able to live well with endo. So I hope that this helps you to do that. Only choose what feels relevant for you. You don't have to do anything that I'm ever, ever suggesting. Just choose what works for you. Um, and yeah, let me know if this episode resonated with you. I'd love to hear from you thank you so much for listening if you want to find out more about what i do or read more on endometriosis and living well with it um, you can head to my instagram page which is this underscore endolife um you can head to my website which is www.thisendolife.com and you can also get um, a free guide to managing endometriosis naturally on my website um, i've put the link in my show notes It's a beginner's guide to getting started and all of the areas that I um, have worked on to help reduce my endometriosis symptoms and pain and live well with endometriosis. As always, if you like this show, please rate, review and or subscribe. Really, truly does help others to hear the podcast and hopefully will help them to live better with endometriosis. This episode was produced by The Podfarm. Whether you're an established podcaster or just getting started, visit thepodfarm.com to see how they can help you go from an idea to a finished show that's ready to be heard by the world.